Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Martin Sandu, founder of Nuom. Martin, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Delighted to have you. Typical fashion here in the show is we go back to chapter one and work away from there. So you've told me that you're based in Nottingham, but you've been based there your entire life. You were born there. What was growing up in Nottingham like? Any uh, favorite memories or standout memories from your childhood? Yeah, not, it, growing up in Nottingham was good. It was multicultural. Though where I grew up was predominantly a white area. But in terms of, I had really good memories, hot summers, playing outside with my friends. Those summers felt like years, really good memories, having a laugh. Education-wise, it was good. I, I didn't plan on, I mean, when I was younger, I planned on, you know, you had dreams, you want to go around the world and see things. But it just happened to be that as I moved from my education, I, I, I found out I was a bit of a homeboy. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't move far, really. But yeah, I mean... It was great. Like I said, my parents came over. My dad came over in the 80s and worked um, in a factory. He was, his story is interesting because he was a, he's a banker, he's amazing at mathematics. But when he came over, the, the degree wasn't worth anything. He had a degree in mathematics. So he ended up working in a factory, which he's still there now today. Grafting, 12 hour shifts, you know, four on, oh. four off. And my mum was born here. Uh, she was born in Birmingham. And uh, yeah, she, uh, she got married when she was 18. She had me when she was 19. So she didn't really have much of a, um, a teenage life. And yeah, they just got moved over to Nottingham and yeah, hardworking. But growing up was good. Didn't have, we didn't have much money for the luxuries. Mm. I think that's one of the things that I've spoken about before on social is my, my journey of, because we didn't have the luxuries, I had to, if I wanted something, I've always found a way of getting it. And I grew up in an area of the 80s and 90s where you had the Argos catalogue. You look at that, you yes. plan what you want for Christmas, right? You look at it, you mark Same. it out. Um, or you play the game where you go, you put a page with your friend and you go, you can only pick one thing off there, what it would be. And I used to mark stuff in those Argos catalogues. And I used to be like, I'm going to have that. Knowing that my mum and dad didn't have the money to do it, but I would figure out a way of making money or a book, basically, as I used to call it. And uh, yeah, I have, no one's asked me that question in a long time. It's really strange. No one asked you about your childhood, but it was really good. It didn't have much, um, yeah. but it was good. It was good. You said that your dad, whatever degree he came over, he couldn't put that to use and he works in a factory in Birmingham. Your mom grew up in Birmingham. Is that where your parents met, working in a factory? No, so my, my dad's family was in Nottingham. So my actually dad okay. came over to Nottingham, which is why we came over. My mum was born in Birmingham because my, um, my grandparents came over in the 50s with a lot of Asian population to work in the factories. But my, my mum and dad had a, a arranged marriage. So they'd only met a handful of times. And my mum was very young, um, 18. And she was obviously, they, she agreed to marry my dad. My dad's about eight years older than my mum. It's a bit of an age gap. So, you know, thinking about that now, in the world that we live in it's just bizarre it still happens but it's they're still married now they it worked out <laughs> exactly they're still married now they're happy uh, my dad's pretty much close to retirement he still wants to work he, he can't he, he doesn't want to sit around at home basically and, yeah. and my mom doesn't want him at home 
they they like I said they had an arranged marriage and then yeah my mum had me when she was 19 like ni- 19 having a child I've got kids now that's young I'm th- 39 and I just it's tough now I yeah, can't imagine yeah. what it was like at 19 trying to make a, a life as well at, at that age you're still a kid you are still a well, kid it looks like she was successful with raising you so talk to me about who do you think had the biggest impact on you growing up um <laughs> I would say my dad, we had a typical um, Asian man relationship, basically. You never tell your dad that, you know, you, know, you, you, you look up to him, you love him or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, my dad, I, I didn't really appreciate my dad and, and the, the effort and the graft that he put in until I actually went and worked in the bakery. So I was a bit of a, an idiot when I got to my teenage years. I got to about 17, 18 when I was in college. I just was not interested in any education. And I didn't, I failed my A-levels. I failed computing, which is funny because I run a tech company now and I used to start programming. But I failed computing, failed mathematics and they were going to boot me out of college. And they basically forced me to pick something out of a UCAS book. And my dad just asked me the question, he goes, look, do you want to do this or do you want to come and work where I work? And I was like, okay, let's go see what it's like for where you work. And I did my first 12-hour shift there and I cried because it was mind-numbing. You just packed, you worked in a bakery, so you just packed bread. And all you had time to do was think about all your failings. <laughs> you know, nothing else but 12-hour shifts. And the people that were there were ex-miners. The banter was good, and they were, they, they were easy on me because I was, you know, I'm Sonny, was my dad's name, and I'm Sonny's boy. But it was hard work. Sweaty, hot, uncomfortable, mind-numbing. Yeah, I did, I did, I actually ended up doing a few summers there, but that first week I went back to college and chose a course. I says, I, I don't want to do that. I want to go and do something else. But that was, uh, that was the, that point is the thing I thank my father for the most, because if he hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have done anything. It was a kick up the backside I needed. You touched on computing and I do want to ask a specific question around that. But in our pre-chat, you said that growing up in the 80s and 90s, you were fascinated by technology, that you built an entire business around it. Who was it that you looked up to when it came to technology that kind of sparked that interest? Or what was the moment that, I don't know, where you first got your hands on a computer and you were like, wow, I love this stuff? Yeah, so those Argos catalogs were full of CD players, mini displays. You remember the mini displays? They were cool. I had every yeah, single yeah, yeah. one. Um, I just loved buying tech. So I would get my hands on anything. So, I could, you know, mini displays, I would... I really want, I was really into, into music as well when I was younger. I just loved the idea of those technologies there. And then computers, I'm not a typical say geek or somebody who like got a Commodore 64 and started programming. I didn't start programming until I was 18, 19. I was more fascinated about technology in general as mobile phones came out, pages, just generally how they were making life easier in a way. And I still am fascinated by technology now in terms of, I have five coffee machines at home. I don't need five coffee machines, but I love gadgets and technology. <laughs> That's a lot of coffee machines. <laughs> um, but computers in general, typical. Um, I grew up in the area of the Super Nintendo, you know, and Mega Drive and Master Systems. And every time a games console came out, I really started looking into how these were, how they worked, as I guess, just before I went to college and getting an understanding of those. And the first time I really touched programming was when I did some really low-level stuff on the BBC computers and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, I, I have been fascinated just by technology in general, but in terms of actual programming, like I said, it wasn't until 
I guess I was just at college I really started looking into that in more detail and shout out to Argos as well and their catalogs I love Argos yeah <laughs> um, come here to me there's a there's two brothers in Ireland who founded a company it's massive now it's called Stripe you're probably familiar with it oh I love Stripe yeah they they studied computing they actually left Ireland studying computing. they founded a business sold it for a couple of million went to America but one thing they're doing now in Ireland is they've partnered with a couple of universities, most notably University of Limerick, to run computing courses the way they like it to be run. So they're 12 100%. weeks. I feel like you have been through computing, and I know that you did multimedia computing in uni. If there was anything you could change about the way computing is taught in university, what would that be? Okay, so the reason I failed at college, because I think it's important for that, is that they were teaching us languages that were, that time, we're talking early noughties, so HTML would have been you know, really popular then. They were teaching us Turbo Pascal, which I think was something that was done in the 80s. It was boring. The guy was typical, you thought, grey suit, not cool. He, it wasn't that, like, silly. At that time, it was the, the, the Silicon Valley feel. It was just old school, and it was boring. And the course was just not interesting. When I went to university, I thought that would be more different. It wasn't. And recently, my brother, who's a lot younger than me, he's um, 16 years younger than me, has just finished computer science a year ago. And when I went to the open day, a lot of the modules still were the same in terms, obviously, the, I guess the languages are slightly different because they brought it more up to date. But it's still that open source stuff. They don't teach you anything to do with Apple in these courses. They don't, what I found was they didn't teach you. They taught you, they've taught you the theory and you did a little bit of practice. It's completely different when you go into the field of work. And I do, I have this now with people that I employ in terms of graduates, the onboarding to get them up to speed is six months because they just, they have the theory and they can be the smartest people in the world. But if they've not actually been doing programming as a hobby for example they've just yeah. come straight out of uni the the onboarding time for them is, is is so long and i feel you know at the moment obviously it's tough right in terms of job market there's loads of opportunity but what it is the people that are in the middle layer that are moving around basically and the graduates they're struggling to get opportunities and for me i don't know if i'm going to employ a graduate at this moment in time because i haven't got the time i've got the six months to onboard them at the moment i need somebody to hit the ground running or to be onboarded in a month so i think i really like that what they're doing i think that's a great idea i haven't, I haven't heard of that and i'll definitely look into it but i definitely think this needs to be some sort of change or industry needs to get or get more involved with the universities over here as well well hopefully when other universities see the first cohort of these students go through what stripe over together maybe others will you don't really need to go to university to, to be a programmer mm. you don't and that's that's the funny thing now is because my brother's finished and he's got he's got a degree but he he hasn't got a job opportunity because there isn't any opportunities for him as a graduate whereas he could have saved that 15 20 i can't I don't even know how much it is now i don't dare not think done it in his own time yeah. and probably making some money as a freelancer now basically doing some work or, or be or, or he's got a better cv to get him onto that into, into a more of a job opportunity so universities are going to struggle i really do well stripe have come out and said that anyone who goes through this thing that they've put together will automatically get a job at stripe and if not at stripe they've partnered with other companies like linkedin that said if there's an overflow we'll take on these students as well because we know what they're being taught is, is good shit so before we get into all interesting sides of business here's a couple of things i know about you your father you've been to places like boston and paris you own a dog you're a liverpool fan 
You've actually been to Germany to see Klitschko versus Fury. But what's one thing you're you're into or curious about that not a lot of people know about you? Um, I love music. Um, I love electronic music. I I wish I was a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I joke because I used to I I was I used to have loads of vinyl. I started playing out. My mates take the mick out of me because I I had one gig. But I always say to them, at least I live my dream. You never did, basically. I played out. Um, I had to sell all my vinyls because I was skint in my final year. So um, that's the one regret I definitely do have. I had a a great collection. But I love electronic music. I I love sport. I I absolutely love sport. But uh, yeah, I think most people that know me that I love music. I love electronic music. I guess those that don't wouldn't know that. So that's one thing to know. Nice. I noticed on your LinkedIn page, you, you spent a period of time as a web developer after mm. university. What had you leave the corporate world to start a business? So I worked in Sheffield for an agency called Rocket, um, graduate developer. Basically, I got thrown in the deep end because there was no one else there. I worked there for a year. I, I then realized that I like I said before, I always, if I need some money, I will, I can always find a way. So I ended up doing some side hustles, doing some work for other people. This led on to doing some work for a startup. They offered me a ridiculous amount of money. And looking back at it now, you do a risk assessment on it. You think, you know, it, 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 it doesn't seem right. So anyway, I jumped to the chance, um, left this stable job in Sheffield, went and worked from home for this startup and got made redundant two months later. I just took on a mortgage. So, yeah, so I moved out of home, took on a mortgage. I thought, I was like, yeah, this is it. Um, was I then 24? I was like, this is easy. I was thinking, this is easy. Let's just see a trajectory. And then, yeah, I just grafted. I just went, I think that's when I'm at my best. And I noticed that during the pandemic is that when I feel that when shit hits the fan, I feel like, okay, I'm, this is me now. I'm ready. I'm a troubleshooter. And I feel that's like I said, when the pressure's on, I work best, which isn't, which is weird because most people now are the opposite. They don't want too much pressure because you're sort of your mental health and stuff like that. And you want to look after yourself, which is right. hundred percent. I'm all into that. But I think as humans, we do need a bit of pressure, especially to get a sort Absolutely. of a bit of a lever. So, yeah. And then I just, it was really organic. Um, one year in, I had a couple of clients. I was making more money than I was making previously at both agencies, but I didn't really, like I said, I did programming, but I didn't really enjoy it. What I enjoyed was making stuff or seeing stuff made and working with people. And then what I realized was that there were other people that were better at making it than I was. And I just started partnering with them. Um, And then I gradually started just building teams. And that's when I started to step back and see that there was an opportunity. There's a business here. This isn't a freelancing gig anymore. This is actually a business. I have contractors. I'm making margin. Um, I'm helping the client get what they want. Um, I'm also doing some of the work, obviously, still, because I can do. I have an understanding of what's needed. And then it just really just started to snowball. And that's how it really started. Now you're the founder of Nuom. What's your mm. favorite aspect of being a business owner? Um, it's the flexibility. I can just, before this call, I just been to the gym for an hour and a half. I, I work this morning. I can work whenever I want. And then... I can. I know other people can work whenever they want as well, but I really can't because mm. I don't really report to anybody apart from the clients. So I, you know, I work this morning from five to eight. You know, I did a three-hour shift there, then go to the gym, drop kids off school, go to the gym. I do the flexibility, the freedom. I love the team that I have. Um, that wasn't always the case. 
but I really now I have an amazing team and we're doing some really cool stuff. I, this is my, I would say this is my sixth team, my sixth like team. I've, you know, gone up. Okay. We've hit the ceiling, gone down or flatline, then gone up again. It's yeah. been like that. We had a big drop a couple of years ago, big, big drop, bad culture. I love learning as well. I love being, uh, the great thing now is I have a great leadership team, a really good team that when I'm wrong, they basically say, you're wrong. Okay, tell me where I'm wrong. This is the reason why you're wrong. Okay, cool, that's fine. You lot are so much smarter than me. What my vision is, where I want to go, you know mm-hmm. how to execute it. Just go and do it, basically. And if you need me. And it's a really cool place to be in now. It's taken a long time, but it's a really cool space to be. You've said that this is your sixth team. Uh, mm. New Arm was born in 2009. These are some... Uh, messages you sent in preparation of our chat that look, after 12 years in the industry, you struggled to break a million pounds AOR, something wasn't working. Then the pandemic hit and you decided to pivot away from the traditional digital agency. Talk to me about what that pivot was and why, why did you decide to do it? So when we started out, I was a web developer. Magento was big at the time, e-com. Um, so we just jumped on that. It was boring. It was hard. And then around 2011, someone asked us to do a mobile app and I just saw opportunity. And I think that's another good thing about that I have is I can see opportunity. And we just went, we just doubled down on it. We just went, this is, you can see it, digital transformation in the health service in particular. We just doubled down on that. Um, And that led to working with the NHS, working in pharmaceutical and building products in that space. And that was cool. That works really well. And we just like skyrocketed. But I don't come from a business background and there's no one else in here for me to, at that time to report to everything I was learning was on the fly. So we didn't make too many mistakes. The one mistake we did make is that we didn't double down when we were at the top. We didn't scale. We basically took it for granted and we got bored. We were like, this is easy. You know, this is making money. What else, what else can we do? And in a way, I got arrogant. In, in me in particular because I thought if I can do it in this space I can make I can set up a marketing agency I can set up a PR agency this is easy and we can have this big super group of agencies this ridiculous like you look back at it now and you're like what an idiot because there was no process there was no infrastructure everybody was a yes person you know yes Martin yes Martin we can do that yes no one was questioning or I had a really young team the team that I, I another another thing that I hadn't which I'd done was um hire cheap in a way and then expected them to figure it out like I did not everybody's the same some people just need to be guided and have you know real mentorship and leadership whereas then my expectations of people was to go okay you come out of university you're a smart kid you've been doing this for a while let's go and build this up and we just we went and then we just hit we hit a wall another thing was the stuff that we were building didn't look great and so that's the time when UX started coming in about the about 2014, 2015, everyone started looking at user experience, you know, customer experience, especially in the pharma space. All the products look like something like Windows 95. They didn't really look good. And that, that space is really important for people to engage because they were using a paper-based system. Now they're using their mobile app and they're using this thing that looks like Windows 95 when on the other side they're using Facebook, they're using you know, Twitter or whatever the app, the, the big thing at that time, stuff that's engaging and people just weren't engaging and they had to engage because they needed to improve their health and wellness. So I invested again, once again, another opportunity. We then doubled down on terms of UX. So we, we hired a, a UX team basically. And then we grew again and 
one of the big changes was around 2050 when I had my first, we had our first child. When you have kids, it changes you because you just don't have time. <laughs> you don't have time for anything. Where when you're younger, you can work those long hours. You can, if you need to take the morning off, you can catch it up in the evening or stuff like that. It doesn't work like that. And I think that was, for me personally, that was a big shock to the system because it just took out time. So I love my kids to bits. But in terms of where we were trajectory-wise, I didn't have anyone in the business that could take up the responsibility or I didn't have a team. It was always, it was still me because I was still learning. I didn't realize that to get that leadership team, to get people in the business, you need to pay them, you need to pay the money. There's no way around it. You need to, you know, if you want good people, you have to pay, you know, and that's the one thing that I've learned is that don't skimp on those key senior positions and treat them really well and make sure they're looked after because they will come back. It will come back and reward you massively. Yeah, absolutely. But you're a very intelligent person yourself. It takes a lot and not many are willing to be vulnerable. And you were in the last three or four minutes when you talked about a lot of the uh, roadblocks or bumps in the road that you came to. Um, but I'm mm. sure that it's you easy. still come up again. Go on. It's easy, it's easy to talk about that now because one of the things, I've been working in the wellness space for a while, so it's good to talk about that kind of stuff now because it, it helps you. You need to improve and you need to level up and go. You need to learn from your mistakes and that's the one thing I don't know whether it's an age thing as I've got older I've been more mature and as you've got children obviously you get a bit more mature I think the pandemic definitely helped it gave me something that I haven't had in years which was time everyone's seen everyone's the world basically stood still for quite a while and for the first time I was like this isn't too bad actually we've okay yeah there's shit going on in the world but actually this is giving me time to think about what I want to do lifestyle versus selling the business for example that that sort of thing that you think about as well so yeah it's been it's i like i don't mind sharing that kind of stuff i think it's good it's clever and it's it hopefully it helps somebody as well because there's a lot yeah. of people who are going on the same journey respect you said selling you taught you said the word selling and you moved on but a thing that you brought up to me in a prior conversation was around why raising funds is not a good metric for startup success mm. why do you believe that um, you always hear about it in the news, don't you? I, this company's raised their Series A or their Series C. I was speaking to one of my friends works at a, a company and they, they raised another round of funding. And the reason they raised another round of funding is because they wasted the previous round. It's not a great metric, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm very old school. In the old days, you'd set up a business, you generate some money, you invest it back in the business and you grow it. And I get it. Yeah, I, I, I get it that if you've got something in a product, especially in the startup space, then you, the only way to basically generate, you've got, you've got something that's working. You want to double down on it and you want to scale it. And so you need the money hundred percent. You can get, it makes sense to get that money in terms of getting the right people in and, 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 and hiring those people. But there's something you don't hear about. And it just frustrates me. You don't hear about the businesses that like Lemless, for example, they've got this product and they don't, they haven't generated, they haven't, gone got any investment but they're generating revenue two million annual to you know, recurring revenue you don't hear about them you just hear about this new startup which 40 percent of like 90 was it 90 percent of them fell in the first year it's probably going to be less than that now yeah a lot fell in the first year only 40 percent of them actually build a product that's ridiculous yeah wow. and, and then four percent and then four percent only make revenue right they're they're the stats it's it, i've yeah a good business is a business that generates revenue reinvest it employs people 
Yeah, I'm in agreement with that statement. Challenging yourself, something a lot of people do, but 10 minutes ago in this conversation, you talked about one of your favorite parts of owning the business is that you have uh, some sort of freedom where you can do what you want when you want. To a degree, you said you went to the gym this morning and I noticed on Instagram, you've posted about this 105 mile rat race that you're doing in September. Why did you decide to do it? And what is it? It sounds uh, difficult, insane. Yes. Um, I like going to the gym, but I like lifting weights. I don't really like conditioning or cardio work, which this is. But it's for a great cause. It's for my my friend, Jay Walls, Jason Walls. His son's got Duchenne syndrome. It's He's wheelchair bound at the moment. He's just come out of an operation where he's had his spine realigned. So it's a bit more straight to improve his quality of life. We want to raise money because obviously the pandemic, a lot of money has been pulled um, for support. We want to raise money to help him do some bucket list stuff really if he wants to go to he's an Arsenal fan it doesn't sound exciting going to the Arsenal but forgive him for that yeah <laughs> you know if he wants to um, you know go down to he goes out to the Arsenal anyway but if he wants to go to see something else or he wants to go to you know, Disneyland or wherever it is that he wants to do we want to raise enough money so he can spend that on himself and mm-hmm. um, so a bunch of lads we've all known each other 20 20 God, a long time 20 25 years and it's it's you could do it over two days which we probably should have done but we decided to do it over one day so it's a seven mile run followed by 80 mile bike ride followed by a 30 mile run followed by a one mile kayak and that's 105 miles and it's 10,000 feet elevation from one end of scotland to the other it's it scares me thinking about it now um but training wise i'm at the end of the day we'll do it We'll yeah. do it because we mentally will we'll get through it and we'll do it. And physically, we'll probably hopefully be in the best shape we've ever been in um, or as, as we can do as we hit 40. But it's I think it's good in terms of it's a challenge, right? You want to challenge yourself as well. We could have yeah. done it. Like I said, we could have done it in two days. But if you ask me that then, can you do it in two days? Yeah, I can do it in two days. Can you do it one day? I don't know if I can. So why don't we give it a go? There's challenges you come up against in business as well. If we focus on the last 18 to 24 months, are there any challenges or objections that you came up against that you didn't necessarily expect or account for? And if so, how did you tackle it? The easiest one is the pandemic, isn't it? But mm. it's weird because I, obviously I didn't foresee the impact of COVID crisis, but I did see a, I did plan for a, a risk basically in terms of 80% of your business goes overnight. I, I had a plan. So when it happened, I had a plan. I had literally dug out, that's my plan. This is what I would do if that happens. Luckily, the government schemes, the furlough schemes, helped me, give me the time like I talked about earlier and kick the can down the road in terms of making decisions. I think one of the previous to that, it was really hard to build a culture. Like I said, I think we had a really bad toxic culture two years ago. And that was just because bad hires, there wasn't clear in terms of the vision, what we wanted to do. It was way... It was loose. We also had really bad clients. We took on work that looked amazing in terms of the numbers, but the clients were just horrendous, which really obviously affected the team. We became a bit of a sort of place where people would come in and leave. So the retention of staff was difficult uh, Mm. as well. There's a lot of stuff about two years ago. We're a completely different business now. And that's one area where I've learned loads. Like I said, I haven't, I've learned as we've gone along, but during the pre-pandemic, we rebranded because I felt the name, which we were known as Roller Agency, it just, it felt toxic to me as an owner. 
I became very disconnected from the business because it wasn't what I set out at the beginning. You know, it hadn't become fun. So I needed to realign. So that was one of the big things that I had to do, I think, in the last two years was realign my personal values with the business values because it changed. When I started it, I was 24 and I'm 37 then when I did that. And I was a completely different person. And when I realigned that, it really helped. And we did that in a brand sprint. And that's one of the big things I think that changed is that I realized that you could do stuff in five days, which would usually take three to four months. <laughs> you know? And there would be loads of people going back and forth and things wouldn't get signed off and things would take so longer. And we basically rebranded in five days. And I was like, if we can rebrand it in five days, why can't we push a, a client design project out in five days? And, and why can't we do this? And you know, why is it taking us five months when we can do stuff in five days? And that was a big eye-opener because at that point, I realized that we, we needed to change as a business because we were taking too long on stuff. And I started to look into the design sprint I, um, in terms of what Google were using. And I started to look into the lean methodology. And I realized that as a business, we were just we were so like, we were doing stuff agile. Hmm. Same we were doing stuff agile. We were doing it agile because we say we did it agile, but we fitted it to what the client still wanted. You know, the client would say, yeah, you can work agile, but it's got to be ready by this day. Okay, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. So once again, I, I looked into how we as a business needed to operate, how we could be more efficient. Yeah, we just then started to change. And that's when we realized a lot of the stuff that was fun that we were working on was with early stage startups, not with these large corporates because things just took too, too long to do. And that's yeah. when we rebranded and started to look in terms of, right, okay, we need to look at our messaging. We need to look at the type of clients we want to work with. And then, yeah, we gradually started to change that. But the big thing I had then, I was on my fifth team then, is that team just wasn't right for what I wanted to do. And that's when the pandemic happened. And a lot of them had started to leave beforehand because they, they wanted to work with the big brands because it's good on the CB, this brand and that brand. I didn't want to because they were just a pain in the backside, basically. I wanted to work with people that were building new stuff, disruptive. Yeah, it's it's not going to be as big a contract as the other one. And at some point, they're not going to need us, which is fine, because once we build it, they can hire their team and they can scale it out. But at least while we're doing it, it's fun. And we still make money at the end of the day. We're not going to be fun. huge, but we, we still make money and it's, yeah, it's fun to do. Um, so I think the big change was doing that brand, doing that design sprint and brand sprint and looking at what we could become. And then we've been on a journey since then, what was that, 18 months ago now, two years almost to where we are now. So our team from then, it's completely changed. I think there's two people left from that original team now. So we've, okay. people have left and we basically went, okay, you guys are leaving, but we then upgraded each person as they nice. left basically. So yeah, it's been good. At some point in this podcast, I mentioned that you went to university to study multimedia computing. I'm assuming that you continue to invest in yourself. Are there any podcasts you listen to, books you read, or YouTube channels you're subscribed to that you uh, listen to or watch or read from? Yes, I've been doing that a lot last couple of years, more recently. Before, I wish I'd started doing that years ago. It's one of the, it's one of the regrets, not reading um, a lot more. I listen to uh, a lot of marketing stuff, Russell Brunson, Traffic, Traffic mm. Secrets. I listen to some other different types of podcasts as well. In terms of reading, I read a lot of, um, once again, sales and marketing books um, at the moment. And 
I read a lot of the lean methodology books, uh, lean startup process. And then, yeah, I think where I get most of my knowledge from is my staff, which is, it's easy because they're my head of engineering or rather the head of design. They're the ones that basically send me stuff over. So I end up looking at clips or listening to stuff that they send me, or they just talk to me about stuff that they do. So I get a lot of my information from those guys. I guess at the moment is my role is very sales and marketing focused um, and building that sort of business. I, I've started looking into, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, I think it's EOS, but I, I need to, I do need to read more, I guess. That's one of the things I think it's, it's interesting because I do, I sit down and read a book, right? I not skim read, I read quite fast, Stacey. I can take a lot of information in quite quickly, but yeah, I've, uh, I could do with more reading. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Fair enough. It's actually, if you ask people their goals for the year, almost everyone's goal, they write down to read more every single year. So you're not alone in that. I don't know how many people achieve it, but you're not alone in wanting to read more. Um, two, two, two final questions for you. Question number one is, I know you're living Nottingham. I think you've got two kids and a wife. I don't know if you, oh, you have a dog as well. Pretend all of them, your loved ones are safe, uh, but your house is burning down and you can only save one item. What one item would that be? That's a good question. What would that be? That's a really good question. Probably my phone. <laughs> I need my yeah. phone, right? Yeah. <laughs> I need my phone. If everything, if everything else I can, you know. I was going to say my Liverpool kit, but that's going to be really my Kenny Dalglish kit, but that's going to be like, yeah, I would say my Kenny Dalglish kit, actually. My number seven classic retro Kenny Dalglish kit. Fair. You must be happy they uh, got into the Champions League the end of the season this year yeah just scraped at the end nice i'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade so it's it's pretend it's now 23 and you're looking back on the last nine to ten years you can answer this personally professionally combination of both what would you like to be looking back on if you're imagining now is 2020 so so what we're looking 10 years into the future we're pretending that we're talking at the year 2030 Looking back on the last 10 years, what would you like to come back on? Look, I think stability and growth. I think, like, at the moment, for the last 10 years, it's been like that, right? Roller coaster. Mm. I'd like to have a business where I, I, the, my plan at the moment is I actually have that. I actually, by the end of the decade, so most people say build your business, sell it after five years, and it'd be like that. I don't want it like that. I want a very gradual growth. If that means that we have to say no, we'll say no. But I want a really gradual growth that where I can then exit in 10 years or the end of the decade. And I want a business where the, the people that are here at the moment, they're still here, they're part of the leadership team and that we can, they can take the business forward and, and they can have it as their own ownership and we can take it forward. I think health obviously is very important. I'm, I'm a big believer in health and wellness, physical well-being, mental well-being, I think equals really strong professional wellness as well. It helps you in terms of productivity. But yeah, I think stability, I think it's the big one. I just don't want last year, last 10 years was, it was exciting, right? You're like, yeah, it's really great. And then it's, this is not working. And then you're going, going like that. I think I need to take what I've learned over the, the last 10 years, apply it now and just have that gradual growth. And I don't really want to go for funding. I don't want, I want to build a business which is mm. generating revenue and it's growing off its own back. And I don't really want to take funding because I don't want to give, I don't want to, Sometimes when you take bring people in, well, most of the time, if you bring people in and they like a VC or, or, or a company or an investor, they want to, you lose a part of ownership and you lose a part of that. They want a return on their freedom. investment pretty fast. 
Yeah, they do. And you also lose and you change as a business. I've seen it with businesses that have had investment. They change and people just leave. And I, I don't want that, especially not this time in life. I don't want that. Maybe when I was younger, that would have been cool because it would have been exciting. But now I just, like I said, it's stability. It's the one thing I keep going on about stability. I've had a great pleasure in getting to know you a little more over the last 40 minutes. I wish you nothing but oh, the best in the future. And, and maybe in 2030, you'll be celebrating your ninth, ninth annual 105-mile rat race. Who knows? This is definitely going to be the last one I do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, from my end, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure to getting to know you a little more and thank you for being my guest today. No worries. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Cheers, Martin. Hey, yo, Metro, don't trust you. I'm going to show you. Beautiful